This morning we will be in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9 this morning, verses 1 through 7, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. As you turn there, as you open your Bibles, as you uh, turn on your Bibles and and move to Isaiah chapter 9, uh, I reflect on this time, this Advent season, a reflection of the first coming of Christ, and I realize that many people are faced uh, with the burden of an overwhelming flood of darkness upon their life. Some of the examples that came to my mind this week is uh, people losing their jobs and they lose everything they have. A teenager who becomes pregnant and has an unwanted responsibility. Students who are flunking in a class and parents are disappointed that their child is failing in that. The diagnosis of of some type of disease or even cancer and chemotherapy or radiation to follow. The possibility of death. The fact that many of you during this time reflect on the fact that you have loved ones who have died and they are not here with us today. That the Advent season um, can be a point of darkness for many. And I pray that even in the midst of grief and sorrow and darkness that there is rejoicing of God's people for the great gift and the joy that we have in Jesus Christ And so I ask you this morning, what misery of darkness are you living in or walking in today? Um, uh, Maybe you have in the past and you need to even reflect on that, what you've been set free from. Some of you, the question you need to ask is, who do you turn to? Who can free you from the darkness that is upon your life? And the answer, as we look at Isaiah chapter 9, the scriptural truth this morning is that Jesus is the only one who can shine through the misery of darkness and give you joy. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. It says this, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he was made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this, the Word of God. Again, Lord, we ask that you would bless the preaching and the reading of the Word. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, as we look at this text, uh, for many of you, the last few verses are very familiar as you see them on Christmas cards as we were just singing the names of Jesus Christ 
And it is something in the first few verses that you may not be familiar with and wondering why are we reading this and it's important that we would read all of Scripture and we would understand the context of why Jesus has these names and what He is doing and what He has done. Look with me at verses 1 and 2 and the first point being the gloom and despair of darkness. If you have not read the book of Isaiah or not know much about Isaiah, he's a prophet of God sent to the nation of Israel, and he was to prophesy the darkness and the destruction that would come upon God's people, a darkness that would be like a flood that would overwhelm God's people in the sense that he describes it like water that would drown the people. And when you think of drowning, as I thought about this week, drowning is such a horrible and dark thing to think about in how a person would die, in which water fills your lungs and you sink to, sink to the depths of the water, the fear that come that you could not breathe because of the water. This is this picture of this flood that would come upon the nation of Israel. And what he prophesies of this flood is the flood of the nation Assyria, which would come over and overtake Israel and had already begun at this point. Look at Isaiah chapter 8, just a few verses back from where we read in verses 6 through 8. It says, Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin, the son of Romalia. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria, and all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread rings, wings with, with, will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel." The question of this, why has this happened to God's people? And as we'll see, and as it was pointed out, it's because of their rejection of God. It's because of their great sin and their disobedience of worshiping idols. And some of you say, wait, pastor, we just sang joy to the world. Why are you starting off on gloom and darkness and all these things? I just want to sing about Jesus in the manger. And I want to be excited about the angels who we've heard on high. And we want to talk about the wise men and read those things. This is Christmas time. I want to turn on my joyful, uh, great songs and just listen to them. But if you do not understand the darkness, you will not understand the light of Jesus Christ. That's why we begin here. You don't just take the prophecy of the child born without the rest of Scripture to even understand why the child would even be sent. The child is sent, the great light, because of the great darkness that are upon all of mankind. Look there at verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, the people who walked in darkness. The people of God would experience great misery under the rule of the Assyrians. 
The Assyrians would come in and it would be, and it was a horrible time of great darkness for God's people, for the nation of Israel. Not only was there great frustration, but there was great desperation and fear and sadness and despair, thinking, where is God in the midst of our darkness? Well, if you look there again at chapter 8, look at verses 21 and 22. It says, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will, thrust, they will be thrust into thick darkness You see, the nation of Israel, God's people, will shake their fists at God. They will be angry at their king and at God, saying, God, you have abandoned us, when the exact opposite is what has happened. The nation of Israel rejected God, and they disobeyed the covenant that He had made with them. And therefore, they made idols of wood and of stone, and they bowed down and worshipped them when He said, I am your only God. In Genesis 22, he says that he would be their God. If you remember, as we've studied before, God has promised to Abraham that he would make a people for his name, that he would multiply his people, and he would give them a land flowing with milk and honey. And as you read Scripture, we saw that God did bring them into that land. And here, many years later, they faced the Assyrian flood that would come upon them. Look at verse 1 there in Isaiah chapter 9. It says, In the former time... You brought in contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. That at this point when Isaiah is prophesying that the Assyrians have already come into that land in that part of Israel. In 2 Kings 15, Tiglath-Pileser had already taken over these two areas of the nation of Israel and began this oppression and this darkness upon the people of God. But we see in the text today that the darkness would not last forever. It says there in verse 1, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish, that this gloom and the darkness will pass away at one point. It says in the latter time, he was made glorious the way of the sea. And that is who we focus on. Who is the he that makes glorious the way of the sea? Jesus, the promised one, the Messiah, the Savior, Isaiah prophesied approximately 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ that He would come. The great light would shine. And if you turn to Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, we see one of the many prophecies that we reflect on and declare at this Advent season. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light for those, who, for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. 
700 years later, you see Jesus Christ coming upon the scene. He declared that He is the light of the world. It's a glorious thing when we read all of Scripture and we see the numbers of prophecies from the Old Testament written hundreds of years before Christ was born, before He walked the earth, before He went to the cross and rose again, that God, through His prophets, spoke His truth. And God always fulfills what He says He's going to do. Amen? Because as Christians, we love the blessings that God promises to His people. We want to hold on to the blessings. We want to hold on to the promises. And therefore, it's important that we give credit to God and glorify Him that what He says that He will do, that He always fulfills. Therefore, Jesus Christ is the great light. And the second point, if you look with me in verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 9, it says, verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Again, the nation of Israel, walking in the darkness. And they knew that God had promised them one to come, a Messiah that would set them free. So there was always this expectation that the Messiah would come. And they are under the flood of darkness of the Syrians, wondering where is the Messiah. God's people were set apart for Him, and yet they lived in deep darkness, as it says in verse 2. God had brought them out of Egypt. Have you read the book of Exodus? Where God displayed His mighty hand and He showed all of those wonderful works that He did to save His people from slavery and to bring them out. And then they wandered in the desert because of their disobedience. And then God brings them into the land. And you say, well, wait a minute. God did that and brought them out. Why are they facing this again? Captivity, slavery, darkness. It says deep darkness. Again, because of their sin, their rejection of God, that they would turn and bow down and worship idols of wood and stone. Dark, sinful, idolatrous hearts. This is the nation of Israel, the inward condition of the people. And that is why God would send the Assyrians upon them to bring up over them a flood of darkness. But did you see in verse 2 the hope? Those people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. On them light has shown that this darkness would end for His people. And that is the promise of the Son, the gift of God, Jesus Christ coming in the first advent as Messiah to save His people from the sin that they were in. And that sin that would lead to death. The Messiah would come and save His people and give them new life. And that Messiah is who? Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says this in chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
Now I want you to reflect for a moment on the nation of Israel and the deep darkness that they walked in and the punishment that they faced. And God said repeatedly it was because of their sinful hearts, their idolatrous hearts. And as you look at Israel and what they faced, you and I must ask the question, how does Israel's sinful state portray your heart? Are you, have you, walked in the same darkness and idolatry and rejection of God as the nation of Israel? And if you're wondering, the answer is yes for every single one of us. That every single one of us, before Christ shines His light into our hearts, walk and dwell in deep darkness of sin rejecting God, being a people who shake our fist at God, not wanting anything of God before Christ shines His light into our life, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. It says this in verse 13 through 15. And you... If you haven't read Colossians, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to believers. And he says to the believers, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Amen? Read Colossians this week. Reflect on verses 13 through 15. Because for those who are in Christ, the light of Christ has shone on you and you no longer dwell or live or walk in darkness. You are no longer a slave to sin, but you've been set free in Christ. Your sins have been forgiven at the cross and you've been given new life in Christ. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in you and you walk accordingly to His power and His might in you for the glory of God. That's what we celebrate at Christmas in the gift of Jesus Christ. This new life that we have in Christ. But you must understand to see the light. If you're here and you do not understand this, uh, before Christ you are dead, as Colossians says. You're dead. There's no life in you. Ephesians tells us we're wicked, that we're sinful, that we follow after. We're, we're children of Satan. That is apart from Christ, and you cannot reject the Word of God that it says that's who we are. And here in Colossians, you were dead. A dead person cannot make themselves alive without the power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit working in us the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot turn from being dead and make yourself alive without the Holy Spirit showing you the cross of Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. There is no way that you can do anything to make yourself alive without that work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And we praise the Holy Spirit 
for opening our eyes to the gospel of Jesus, that at this time of Christmas, which in this world there's always trouble, we can celebrate the gift of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the only way, if you are walking and living in darkness today, is that you would know and understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is God, and He is the Son of God, and He was sent to this world and to be obedient to the Father as the great light who would be born and placed in the manger, and that He would add humanity to His divinity, being fully God and fully man. And that boy, Jesus, He grew up, and He lived and walked in this world just like you and I, experiencing everything in this world like you and I and Jesus Christ never sinned. Therefore, He was the perfect sacrifice that could go to the cross and be nailed on the cross and suffer on the cross the wrath of God for the sins of His people. And Jesus Christ bled and He died and He was, he was placed in a tomb for three days and the third day, what? He rose again. Conquering Satan, conquering sin, conquering death. And he's ascended to, the, to heaven, to the right hand of the Father. He's ruling and reigning. If you're a Christian, he prays on behalf of you now. And he is promised, as all of the promises of God's, that he will return one day. And we will see him in all his glory. And if you die before that time, like loved ones we've had who've died this year, you go into the presence of Christ immediately, but only for those who have faith in Christ alone. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you are here living in darkness, you have now the responsibility to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. To follow Jesus or to continue in your sin and rejection and die in your sins and have the wrath of God upon you for all eternity. For the Christian, I would tell you to look back at Isaiah in verses 3 through 7. Here's the part that you're looking for, the rejoicing. The rejoicing with great joy. That is not just Christmas time, but for the Christian, it's every day of your life, even in the midst of the greatest struggle, the greatest persecution, the greatest hardship, the greatest loss, the Christian still today can say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. The Christian today in the midst of the trouble of this world can have joy in their heart, looking to the inheritance set before them and know that one day that joy will be ever growing, ever increasing increasing in the presence of our Lord and Savior. And therefore, those who are in Christ who have gone on before us and that are with Him now, they're rejoicing in heaven, the great cloud of witnesses. And they're rejoicing because they see Him. And one day, all who are in Christ will see Him. It says in Isaiah chapter 9 here in verse 3, You have multiplied the nation... You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. You see, God confirmed His covenant with Abraham to multiply His descendants. And we read earlier, uh, uh, over a month ago, in Genesis 22, verse 17, He says, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. 
Abraham's number of descendants would be great, great, great in number, but you must know it's not only the Israelite nation. That Jesus Christ, by shining his light in this world, would shine his light upon the Gentiles as well, which in which we would say, praise God. Because God would save those of his people outside of the nation of Israel. And this would include all who God planned to do a mighty work of salvation before he even ever said, let there be light. And that is the joy that we have as Christians. That's the joy that we, re- re- that's what we rejoice in, is that Jesus Christ saves his people from their sins. And he gives them new life. A few weeks ago on a Sunday night service, I was sharing with the group that was here. We were talking about fruitfulness and harvest time. And as it says here, as joy with the harvest, I'm reminded of my grandfather who grew uh, 10, 12 acres of oranges from seedlings. And as they grew up over the years and they watered them by hand before he had irrigation and he saw those trees grow and the oranges that would come, there was harvest time every year. And I can remember the times of harvest in which they would set these boxes of oranges down between the rows and that people would come and they would pick the oranges and fill these boxes. And I have a picture somewhere of my grandfather standing next to a box and he's got the biggest smile because of all the work that he did all year long and all the years before so that there would be a harvest. That's the type of joy that should be in the hearts of God's people. The joy of the harvest of Jesus saving his people for himself. That he gets all the glory. And that God's people are gathered together around the throne for all eternity. That's this joy that dwells in the hearts in which Isaiah writes of the rejoicing with great joy. So for some of you, at Christmas, we celebrate this time and you're like, this is such a joyful time. And the question, though, is to ask, what are you joyful about? Is it just family gatherings? Is it because you're going to get that gift you've been waiting for all year? Is it because you get to hear your Christmas songs in the stores or wherever it is? Whatever joy that you set out, it should be the joy of Jesus Christ. If not, it's a holiday for the world. If not, it's just another day of the year and a day off from work. It says in in verse 4, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. The Lord did free the nation of Israel from the flood and the bondage to Assyria. And there was rejoicing. But rejoicing now happens for those who are in Christ. And the reason why it tells us there in verse 4 is God has delivered us, his people, from the darkness of Satan, sin, and death. For those of you who are in Christ, think back to your life before you were walking with Christ. If I asked you, was sin a heavy yoke upon your shoulders? You would say yes. A great heavy yoke. Not only just a yoke, but being chained to it. Enslaved to sin. It says there in verse 4 that this yoke is broken. Satan, our oppressor, is put down. But Jesus, our mighty God, has broken that yoke. And it says, just as God broke the oppression of, uh, uh, of the, the Midianites, 
over Israel through a guy named Gideon in Judges chapter 6 and 7 that Jesus has broken the oppression that God's people have of sin. That Jesus has also broken the bondage of slavery. Just as God broke the bondage of slavery of the Egyptian of the nation of Israel to the Egyptians through the cross of Jesus Christ, his blood shed and the resurrection from death to life, Jesus has broken the bondage of slavery to sin. It says in verse 5, For every boot, the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. The enemy will be put down, and there will be peace for all eternity with Christ. Luke chapter 2, verse 14 says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. And so we celebrate and rejoice at Christmas and every day, that the yoke and the oppression and the slavery to sin has been broken for all who are in Jesus Christ. It says now in verses 6 of Isaiah, what, again, we are familiar with at Christmas. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, a few minutes ago we were singing that. And I stopped for a minute and just heard you singing the names of the child born in the manger. Emmanuel, God with us. It is Jesus Christ that brings us that deliverance. In Isaiah chapter 7, the prophecy, it says in verse 14, Therefore the Lord will give, him, give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Again, a prophecy hundreds of years before the Mary, the virgin, would give birth to Jesus Christ. It was spoken of and prophesied. And we celebrate today and give God great thanks at Christmas time and every day. Because in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. It is Christ the Lord who has given these glorious names here in Isaiah. Wonderful Counselor. The word wonderful, it's the same word used of God's wonders that He performed in bringing the people out from Egypt. And the word counselor, meaning that He would have wisdom like any king should have. And so He is the wonderful, powerful counselor with great wisdom. And we see in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Jesus Christ as his baptism, when we see the greatest picture of the Trinity, when Jesus Christ, who is God, came up out of the water and the heavenly Father in the heavens spoke out and said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased, that the, that the, that the Holy Spirit was seen ascending, descending on Christ as a dove. And therefore, the Holy Spirit filling Christ and giving Him the wisdom that's needed to be our wonderful Counselor. But the name Mighty God is another name that is declared here in Isaiah chapter 9. 
A heroic God, a God of might, a powerful warrior who is able to wipe out the enemy. And that should bring great joy for you because your enemy is death brought on by your sin. Your enemy is Satan and the demons. And Jesus, who is the mighty God, is our hero. He is the powerful warrior. And I love this passage in the book of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 32, here is what they say of God. Now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Again, the people were rejoicing, being able to come out of captivity and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And they call God a mighty God. The same words that are described of Jesus in Isaiah the mighty God, our hero, and I am thankful that we have a Savior who is able to wipe out the enemy. Because I think sometimes we get distracted at Christmas when you see that baby in the manger, or you think about those verses about this little baby, that he is the king, and that he is mighty God. He's also the everlasting Father. He is our eternal Father, He acts towards us as Father. Jesus is a Father to us in the sense of a great shepherd of John chapter 10 in the way He cares for His flock, that the, our, our Heavenly Father has adopted His people unto us and Jesus Christ treats us that way, cares for us that way. He is our everlasting Father. Isaiah 40 verse 11, He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young and the last title being the prince of peace that Jesus is the one who brings peace and the peace that he brings to you if you are in Christ is peace with God that your sin is taken away and you are no longer at war with God as an enemy but you are at peace with him therefore since we have been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ Romans chapter 5 verse 1 Look at the last verse in Isaiah chapter 9 here. It says this in verse 7. Of the increase of his government and the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I'm thankful for that last sentence. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this do this. Again, the wonderful promises of God in which He is faithful. He does not change. He does not and cannot lie. And He always fulfills His word. Therefore, we, His people, praise Him today for He is faithful and steadfast and a great loving God who cares for His people. And as I read chapter seven, or verse 7 there, <clears throat> that Jesus' reign forever is a reign of peace, joy forever with Him, that I reflect on the fact that Jesus' kingdom grows through the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. And Ephesians chapter 6.15 says this to you if you are a Christian, that you are, when you put on the armor of God, to put on the shoes of the gospel of peace, and that you, Christian, would be ready every single moment of your life to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that those who are living in darkness, those who will be saved by faith in Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross, would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ declared to them. Church, are you ready? Are you walking with the shoes of the peace of the gospel today? Ready to declare the joy of Jesus Christ that a person can have through faith in Him alone? It says that the description of this Messiah, there would be no end to his government, that on the throne of David, and tonight we'll spend some time at our five o'clock service reflecting on this. And I encourage you to join us as we continue to study the word. But I want to read one more passage here from Luke as we close. Luke chapter 1, verse 31. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Again, as the last verse in the text that we're studying today says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Be reminded that God is for God. God is for His name and for His glory, and He will accomplish His plans for His glory and for His people's good. Jesus is the only one who can shine through the misery of the darkness of life and give joy to His people. Again, we celebrate Jesus' first coming. His work on the cross, death, burial, and resurrection. And we look forward to His second advent. There is a second coming, and He will return one day in the clouds of glory. Christian, in the midst of any trouble you have in this world today, today is a day of rejoicing because Jesus Christ has set you free from your sins. And He will return, and you will be with Him for all eternity. And if you are far from Christ... You're walking in darkness today, and the call is that you would turn from him to faith. As the worship team comes forward, would you pray with me? Father, I pray that in this moment, with all the Christmas lights that we see around town, in our homes, in different places, as we hear songs being played over uh, stereos of Christmas, as we make plans, as people buy gifts and wrap them, as there are things that are happening and events going on, I pray that your people here in this place would be celebrating daily the birth of your son Christ. And they would be filled with the joy of the Lord because they have been set free from the oppression of sin that they have been set free, that the chains of slavery to sin have been broken at the cross of Christ. 
Father, I pray for all who are here that would be far from you, that today you would shine your light into their life, that they would respond to the gospel of Jesus and they would be saved and adopted by you. And that that inheritance that you've set before them would be their joy, who is Jesus Christ. Father, as we take some bread and a cup together, and we do what you've told us to do. We pray that you would continue to move upon our hearts in this moment, that there would be a reflection and there would be rejoicing over the work that you've done. We thank you, Father, that you've given us your word. We thank you that you've given us your spirit. We thank you that you've given us your son, Jesus. We bless your name, Jesus. Amen.